0: book four chapter two of round the block by john bell booton the sleeper recording is in the public domain buying good behavior for three years i bought my son's good behavior with unlimited pocket money and foolishly thought that his nature had changed occasionally he would do malicious acts to his tutors or to my housekeeper or servants but these occurred less frequently as time rolled on and at last ceased At fifteen years of age he was sufficiently advanced in learning to pass a college examination, and I determined to send him to college. He was delighted at the proposal, for he had begun now to appreciate the advantages of education. Anticipating that he would have trouble with the faculty, I selected a college which was distinguished for its means of learning, and was yet very lenient in its discipline mindert easily obtained admission and at once took high rank in his class knowledge came so easy to him that he had plenty of leisure and i feared that his old vicious habits would break out again greatly did i rejoice not to hear a single complaint of him during his first term but alas i found when he returned home that he had learned to drink and gamble and that the large sums of money i had sent him had been squandered in carousals and over the card-table still he maintained the first position in his class and of that i was proud i remonstrated against his vices he admitted that there was some truth in what i had heard mixed up with a great deal of exaggeration and justified his conduct by saying that it was the fashion, and he could not keep out of it if he would. His good health and naturally high spirits did not appear to be in the least affected by dissipation, and I gladly allowed myself to believe that many of the reports about him were false. The next term was still more expensive, and I found out that the larger portion of my heavy outlay went for liquor and gambling still he kept a high grade in his class taking the second rank instead of the first and the faculty either were ignorant of his misconduct or did not think it worth punishing through his first second and third years at college these were his only vices his constitution though strong was gradually undermined and at the end of his junior year he showed unmistakable signs of bloating became very irregular in his attendance on recitations and had sunk to be the fifteenth in his class i had hopes that he would pass through his fourth year safely and get a diploma but at the very beginning of that year he kept drunk and absented himself from recitations for a fortnight and when called before the faculty for a mild reprimand cursed them with the most horrible oaths defied them and left their presence they had no choice but to expel him from the college and a week after he was brought home to me nearly dead with intoxication a month's illness followed which brought him almost to the grave though at the time i prayed with all a father's love for his recovery i have since thought oh how often that it would have been far better for him to have died but he was spared and having been thoroughly frightened by his narrow escape from the effects of drunkenness, he vowed on his recovery that he would never touch another drop of liquor. This pledge he kept for some months after his health was fully restored. Having decided to educate him for the law, the only profession that he did not hold in contempt, I procured a place for him in the office of Mulroy, Bigup, and Lartimore, an excellent firm with whom I had had some dealings myndert entered upon his study of the profession with such ardour that i was obliged to caution him against ruining his health but he only laughed and said he wanted to make up for past follies i had never before seen him in a penitent mood and i was delighted mr mulroy who has had a hundred pupils in his time told me that he never had a more promising one than Mindert. He was a regular and constant attendant at the office, and spent all his evenings at home. The natural strength of his constitution came to his aid, as if to encourage him in his efforts to reform, and, notwithstanding his severe studies, he began to look in better health than he had ever been. Thus things went on for six whole weeks, and I was happy, and busied myself in framing plans for my son's advancement in life he told me one day that he had joined a club of young law students who met every evening and discussed legal points held mock courts and thus sought to familiarize themselves with the duties of their profession and asked me if i approved of it he sought my approval so rarely for anything that i freely gave it cautioning him again however to be careful of his health he laughed at my apprehensions But I was pained to see how soon my fears proved true. Within a fortnight the rosy color of his cheeks had disappeared, and his eyes were palpably sunken, dull and marked with a sickly blue beneath. He never returned home till midnight, and sometimes was out till three o'clock in the morning. I scolded him for devoting so much time to his law club, but he said that the members were, like himself, enthusiastic students and that he was always the first to leave their fascinating debates and mimic trials a week later i marked the familiar bloat in his cheeks and suspected the truth placing a watch upon his movements no easy matter for he is very shrewd and cautious i soon found out that the law club was a myth and that his nights were passed in the wildest debauchery he had not only resumed all his old vices but had acquired new ones when i reproved him as i did with just indignation he threw off the mask of concealment which he said he was tired of wearing and became the same bold defiant reckless boy that he always was while i continued to be the same weak foolish fond parent i cannot recount the tortures inflicted upon me by my son since that fatal discovery He has not only abandoned all his law studies, having been expelled from the office of Mulroy, Bigup, and Lartimore for grossly insulting a young female client, and utterly ruined his own body and soul, but by his acts he has brought shame upon several families. When this new series of outrages came to my knowledge, I threatened to disinherit him. He laughed at me. He knew how I loved him for his mother's sake, and... With that hold upon my affections, he defied me. To heartless indifference he gradually added insults, and often cursed me, his own father, in this very room where his mother has rocked his cradle a thousand times while she listened to my reading of an old poem or novel. The last of his crimes, of which I have heard, was brought to my knowledge about six weeks ago, it was a piece of treachery the most villainous and i told my son in plain words what i thought of it i was weak and nervous from an illness which is hereditary in my family and i reprimanded him with more severity than usual i told him that if god in his infinite mercy spared him yet he was not secure from just punishment from the friends of those whom he had wronged and that the human vengeance which had been so long postponed would surely come. He looked at me with malice in his small gray eyes, not his mother's eyes, and when I ceased speaking, raised both hands to heaven, and with the most horrible blasphemy called down its curses upon me, and then he swore that if I crossed his path or thwarted his plans or refused him money, he would kill me just before he uttered this monstrous threat i sprang from my chair with horror and caught him imploringly by both hands i would have saved him from that dreadful act but i was too late i saw him wrench away his right hand and raise it to strike me back i knew no more until mrs frump my niece who has had charge of my household during the past three years "'entered the room, and found me stretched insensible on the floor. "'I saw a part of the sad scene,' said Marcus Wilkeson, "'who had listened with mingled indignation and compassion "'to this strange tale. "'Your son was standing by that window, "'and you were sitting near him, also within sight of me. "'I distinctly saw you catch your son's hands with your own. "'He wrenched the right one away and raised it. "'Then you fell.' but he did not strike you or attempt to. As you dropped to the floor, he glanced anxiously through the window, saw me watching him, and then pulled down the curtain. Then he did not strike me to the floor. I never believed he did, for there was no bruise or other mark upon my head. Thank God my son was spared the commission of that crime. Bad as he is, he would not strike his own father and the poor old gentleman's heart found meagre comfort for a moment in that thought. A few more words and I am done. The shock brought my disease to a crisis. For over a month my recovery was doubtful, but my naturally tough constitution, skillful medical attendance, and the unceasing care of Mrs. Frump brought me safely out of it. The devotion of that good, light-hearted woman was truly affecting she never left my bedside night or day except for a few hours rest and even to-day when as you see i am well enough to sit up and talk and in fact am perfectly restored to health it was only by almost pushing her into the street that i could get her to go out for a day's shopping a luxury which the good soul had denied to herself during all my illness i must tell maltboy about this excellent woman thought Marcus. My son did not come near my sick-bed, and I have not seen him since that unhappy day. He has visited the house daily, and shut himself in his room for several hours. How he occupies his time I cannot imagine, but am sure that it is only in studying or practicing evil. Possibly I may throw some light on that mystery, said Marcus. I have seen him, from my convenient window enter his room day after day, generally in the afternoon, sit down at his table, and write for over an hour steadily. "'That is strange!' exclaimed the old gentleman. "'He has given up the study of law. "'He has no taste for literary labor. "'He writes a beautiful hand, "'and would not waste time in trying to improve his penmanship. "'It is singular indeed. "'His work, whatever it is, does not seem to satisfy him for i have observed that he no sooner fills a page with writing than he burns it to ashes by the gas-jet which he always keeps faintly lighted above his head some more villainy i am sure said the old gentleman with a deep sigh we shall find it out by its terrible consequences in due time he has plenty of leisure to cultivate his vices but not a moment to seek my forgiveness which god knows i would freely grant if he would only ask it he cannot even throw away a word upon mrs Frump to find out whether his own father is dead or alive the last thought gave acute pain to the wretched parent tears again sprang to his eyes and marcus feared that he was about to witness that saddest sight in nature an old man weeping but by an effort mr van quintem stifled his emotion and turning suddenly upon his visitor cried in a voice of despair tell me sir in heaven's name what shall i do with my son End of book Four, chapter two